Good morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Judges, and if you have one of the handouts, you are fully equipped this morning to participate with me in this in this sermon. Everyone loves a good story. I especially love a good rags to riches story. A Cinderella story where the deserving get something good. But not before overcoming incredible obstacles. I like stories like this, especially when they're true. And we have this with the book of Ruth. I love hearing stories of how people met and, and fell in love. Don't you? I love those stories. Our own ancestors are treasure troves of such stories. My, I like to tell the story of my grandmother and grandfather on my father's side who were married. He had six children, no, excuse me, five children, and um, she thought she would never have children. Uh, his first wife had died, and so she said, yeah, I'll marry you, and uh, we're going to raise his children for him. And uh, they got in a buggy and went to the Justice of the Peace, and he met them out on the front steps, and they were in the buggy, never got out. It was the first drive-through marriage. I don't know. And uh, uh, that, that's, how they, that's how they got hitched. And then she had, ended up having six children of her own, so they had 11 kids. Yeah, that was, that was a good one. Um, my mom and dad, I love that story. They were married for a month before anybody knew they were married. She lived in her house. He lived in his house. Nobody knew until she just broke down and cried one day, and her mama took her, packed her stuff up, took her over there and said, well, she's yours now. <laughs> and they've been married for over 50 years as well. Uh, Miss Hagen just told me the story before I came up here about her and Brother Hagen. If you remember Brother Hagen, what a sweet man. And when they got married, the, the, their wedding night, he read this book to her, this short book of just four chapters, the book of Ruth, he read that to her. How beautiful is that? You know, the stories we have that we hear over and over, and they're passed down from generation to generation, they become our story, don't they? They're wonderful. In the book of Ruth, we have one of these amazing stories. Haley's Bible handbook says that the genealogy at the end of Ruth was the reason that the book of Ruth was written in the first place. It shows that Ruth and Boaz, they had a son, uh, Obed, who had a son, Jesse, whose son was David. And I put in your handout a, a genealogy chart that translates itself all the way down to Jesus. It, Solomon's not mentioned in this, and that leads uh, most scholars to say that Ruth was written somewhere around the time of the reign of David. The Old Testament was written for our learning, and this short Old Testament book is, is profound. It's a profound model of literary beauty, and it's filled with spiritual value for, and has worth for even today's Christian. We see in the book of Ruth, love demonstrated and love rewarded. Ruth takes place during the time of the Judges, the book of Judges. The book covers about 12 years of the life of Ruth. There were no kings and everyone did what was right in their own eyes is the last verse in the, book of, in the book of Judges. There was so much immorality. There was so much idolatry. There was so much war during this time. But the book of Ruth is like an oasis in the desert. In this study, I want us to understand three things. 
One, I want us to understand true agape love. And because true and wise and loving choices were made, I want us to see how love is rewarded. And last but not least, I want us to understand that their story is part of our story. And it's a story that we can tell to others. The book of Ruth begins in Moab, where the family of Elimelech and Naomi had moved to escape the famine in their native tribe of Judah. The two areas are separated by the Dead Sea, uh, about 40 miles as the crow flies, but about 100 miles if you have to travel by land. The book of Ruth begins here in Moab, where the family uh, had to escape the famine that was in their native tribe of Judah. And Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, they were from Bethlehem. The land of Moab was that region east of the Dead Sea, if you can look on your map in your handout. The the Moabites were a distant kin to the children of Israel because they were descendants of Lot. Remember Abraham's nephew, Lot. And you remember the story. They, They had gotten too big for each other, so they had to separate And Abraham gave Lot the choice. And Lot chose the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that ended up being his undoing, didn't it? Because that was the bad choice, wasn't it? The Moabites did not worship God. They worshipped the the idol god Chemosh. They sacrificed infants to their god. And Ruth was a Moabite. She married one of Naomi's sons. Naomi's other son also married a Moabite girl. And Elimelech during this process, during this time that they're there in Moab, he dies. That leaves Naomi a widow, and, but she wasn't destitute. She was okay. She still had two sons. She was still blessed with two sons, and they were married. But both of the sons died not long after their father. So now there are three widows, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. They were destitute. In Moab, there was no help for them. And in Ruth chapter 1 and verse 6, Naomi had heard that God made sure that his people got bread in the land of, in the land of Judah. So she decides to go home. Naomi advises her daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law to go back to their own parents. You go back to your own parents. You're still young. You can still get married. You can still have, you can still have children. Uh, but without help, Naomi would have become a beggar. Orpha with lots of Orpha with lots of tears, she returns home. But Ruth clings, it says. It's the word in the New King James Version, clings to her mother in law. They had just spent the last ten years together. They had just gone through some of the worst times in their life. Ruth and Naomi were survivors in the battle of life, and they were they become very close. Orpah made a good choice. It was the best choice for her. Ruth made a good choice. But notice, church, it was the best choice for Naomi. 
Naomi begs her to go home. But Ruth says the now famous words. We've, we've heard them in a wedding. If, if you've ever been to a wedding, you would have heard Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. In an immoral world, Ruth makes a moral choice. This is agape love. That that perfect love. That love that does what's needed in whatever situation it finds itself in. We're faced with decisions every day. Right and wrong. Good and bad. Good and better. Better and best. Orpah's decision was not bad, and she probably went home. She probably remarried and had children and died in obscurity. But Ruth, oh, Ruth, what a life she had. What a beautiful life she had. What a beautiful choice. She vindicated the bad choice of her ancestor Lot. And she made a decision that would affect you and me eternally. For in the fields of Bethlehem, where Ruth is about to glean in the barley harvest, in these same fields of Bethlehem, many years later, shepherds would be startled by the angels announcing the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Ruth loved Naomi. Their problems were intertwined and Ruth had the heart of a servant. Naomi and Ruth, they returned from the land of Moab to Bethlehem. They arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest, chapter 1, verse 22. They must have stayed near or in the town of Bethlehem, chapter 2, verse 18. And they must have talked a lot about their situation because chapter 2, verse 1, Ruth asked permission to go and glean barley grain from the fields of Naomi's husband's relative. Okay, He's a wealthy man and his name is Boaz. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, uh, God commanded that the children of Israel not completely harvest their fields, but to cut corners and to drop bundles and to leave some behind for the poor. It compelled the farmers to be generous, and it compelled the poor to work for what they got. In the time of darkness morally uh, of, of this book of Judges, we see a light in Ruth and Boaz when we read their of their love story. Uh, Ruth was a worker. She was not lazy. She could have played the victim. She had had bad things happen to her, right? But she hung in there, and I like to think that what attracted Boaz to her was her attitude. What a great attitude Ruth has. What a great example to us today. Whether or not they found each other attractive, Boaz and Ruth did things right. There's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. And Boaz and Ruth, they did it right. Uh, Boaz was so kind to Ruth. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Ruth says, you have comforted me. She got to glean in the best of the field. He told all the boys to, to leave her alone. She didn't have to draw water for herself. She was treated like a part of the group. Why? Well, Ruth asks why. She asks that question. And church, we learn a, a, very, important, a very important lesson here. 
What you do is told. What you do is told, good or bad, what you do is told. Your name will precede you. And love and goodness are their own reward, but they are rewarded nonetheless. And Ruth's name preceded her to Boaz. Ruth asks, why are, why are you being so good to me? Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Here's Boaz's answer. It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people who you did not know before. Verse 12 is beautiful. The Lord repay your work and full reward be given to you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Don't you love it? We should strive to speak with kind words like Boaz did with Ruth. When we are benevolent to others, we should make sure though and let them know that it's the Lord that helps them. The Lord deserves the credit for any good that happens. Boaz gives Ruth about 30 pounds of grain, chapter 2, verse 17. And when Ruth takes this back to Naomi, Naomi wants to know all the details. Uh, Ruth, chapter 2, verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she, took her mother, she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. It almost makes you cry if, if you think about it hard. These women who had been through had been through so much, they can see a light at the at the end of the tunnel. They can see a silver lining in the cloud. Ruth chapter two verse twenty. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, "Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead." And Naomi said to her, "This man is our is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives." Naomi praises God. You know, when we're around unbelievers, like, like Ruth was an unbeliever, she was a Moabitess. When we're around unbelievers like that, or new believers, let's make sure we give God credit for the good that's happening in our lives and in the lives of others. Naomi was excited because Boaz is a close relative. Naomi knew the law, she knew the system, and she knew that, Naomi's, that Naomi, her husband, was of the tribe of Judah and that he had land rights in Bethlehem. The land would have been given to her sons if they were, since they were dead too, but since they were dead, uh, Naomi and Ruth, they couldn't regain their ancestral property rights unless two things happened. Number one, redemption of the land. And number two, Leveric marriage. Leveric marriage. Uh, the, the redemption of the land custom obligated the next of kin to buy back the property for which had been sold because of poverty so that their name would not be blotted out uh, in time. This law is found in Leviticus 25. Verse 25 through 28. And this marriage custom is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. And it requires the nearest relative of a deceased man to marry the widow. Any offspring from this marriage carried the name and the inheritance of the former husband. Now, since Naomi was beyond childbearing years, Ruth, the widow of Elimelech's son, she becomes the substitute. 
So the advice that Ruth now receives from Naomi must be seen in this context. It must be seen in this, in this time frame in which they live. We may think Naomi's advice is very strange, and it is very strange, as we'll see. But as this, at this time and place, in this place in Israel, during the time of the judges, this was the proper way to act. In our society, with all its faults, there's still a right way and a wrong way to act, isn't there? Naomi knows the law. It's always best if you know the rules, right? And Naomi knew that Boaz was a family goel, is the Hebrew word, kinsman redeemer. He could obtain her husband's uh, ancestral lands. He could marry Ruth and carry on the family name. She knew that. And that's what she wants for Ruth. Naomi gives Ruth advice that seems very bizarre today. The harvest was over and the crew was, was, was winnowing, winnowing barley on the threshing floor of Boaz. Uh, barley stalks of grain had been collected. Uh, they were thrown up into the air with a fork or, or a basket, as you can see. Uh, and this is the same way it's done today in many places in the world. Uh, the chaff would blow away and the heavy grain, as you see these ladies doing, it would fall at the feet uh, in front of the winnower and be collected. When put into baskets, baskets, it's ready to use, it's ready to sell, and it's also easy to steal at this time now that all the work has been done. Now that all the harvest has been done and the work's been done, they put this grain into baskets and, and thieves could go in and very easily steal it and use it at, for their own, for their own, uh, uh, for their own uh, work. So the workers, they would sleep with the grain until the job is done. Boaz was going to sleep on the threshing floor, and Naomi knew that he was. <clears throat> and here's what she tells Ruth to do. Look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 3. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put, put your best garment and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Get pretty. Smell good. Leave Boaz alone while he's eating. Men, we would all like that, right? Ruth chapter 3 verse 4, Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. You shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. You know, my wife, we've been, we've been married for a while now. If she uncovered my feet and laid down on them, I would just, what are you doing? Wouldn't you? We might think of this maybe even as a sexually provocative gesture, uh, but in reality it's an act of submission. I read this to our class in, Bible, in our Bible class today. Uh, this is from uh, F.B. Huey from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. I just like what he said here. Those who interpret a sexual relation in the events reflect their, he wrote this in the 20th century, their 20th century cultural conditioning of sexual permissiveness. They failed to appreciate the element of Ruth's trust that Boaz would not dishonor her whom he wanted for his wife. They failed to appreciate the cultural taboos of Ruth's time that would have prevented a man of Boaz's position from taking advantage of Ruth, thereby destroying her reputation and perhaps endangering his own. Biblical writers were not squeamish about describing sexual encounters, but the writer of Ruth has deliberately refrained from saying there was a liaison between Ruth and Boaz. If read carefully, 
And with sensitivity, it becomes clear that he was saying just the opposite. Both Ruth and Boaz acted virtuously in a situation they knew could have turned out otherwise. Chastity was not an unknown virtue in the ancient world. And it's not an unknown virtue in today's world either, is it? Our children, we teach them all the time, you should flee fornication. I know in this sexually charged environment that we live in, that that's hard to do for our young people and our older people as well. But it's not unheard of, and it can be done. God's will can always be done. And we see here in the book of Ruth, in the, in the middle of, of, of immorality, in the middle of immorality that the children of Israel were going through, we, we see a light. We see a wonderful moral light that are, is a great example to all of us today. Uh, Ruth is saying, you know, I trust you to do the best for me. That's what she's saying by this act. It's an act of submission. And Ruth did what Naomi said. And Boaz, as we read, he accepts Ruth. He makes plans for redemption. Remember that word. Boaz makes plans for redemption. Ruth goes back to Naomi with more grain and and listen to Naomi's advice. Ruth chapter 3, verse 18. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. This was probably the hardest piece of advice to follow. Sit still. That's a hard piece of advice to follow today, isn't it? Sit still. Let God be God. Naomi knew that Boaz would not rest until he had redeemed and love has been demonstrated all through Ruth. We can certainly see that. Ruth's love, Naomi's love, Boaz's love. Everyone in this wicked world was looking out for number one, but these were looking out and truly loving each other. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Even today, people want to blame the times they live on for the way they act. But our hero in Ruth, they wanted to do the right thing. They wear white hats. And Boaz, in chapter 4, he gets busy. He gets busy making things right. There was one big hurdle, though. Boaz was not the closest relative. Uh, There was one closer. And Boaz didn't have to redeem anything or anyone. Okay, I want you to understand that. Boaz could have just sit there in his wealth and not done anything. I want you to understand that Boaz wants to do this. Okay? Uh, Boaz gets his relative, the one closer, and ten elders at the city gate. This is an ancient city gate. This has been something like what they, where they would have sat. Uh, that one row of rocks right there is it's a bench. And it's where the elders would have sat. And they would have discussed this matter. All right? And uh, Boaz tells them of Ruth coming back. And he addresses his relative. And, and since he's closer, since you're closer relative, you get first shot at redeeming the land for Naomi. You get first shot at buying it back. And the guy says, okay. Oh, man. It was, it's almost like, oh, it's the, you know, the climax of the story. And then, dun, dun, dun. The guy says, okay, I, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy the land. And you're thinking, oh no, now Ruth and Boaz aren't going to get together. They're not going to get, I want the land. But verse 4, he says, I'll redeem it. Then here, Boaz knew the law too. Verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it 
from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. In other words, you've got to marry Ruth, too. Uh, the relative was looking for land. He wasn't looking for a wife. So verse 6, and the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Boaz gets his witnesses, uh, makes a formal announcement. He gets the blessings of the elder. He gets a shoe. Yeah, that's what they did. They took their shoe off and they gave it to the guy. I said, here, okay, you, it's yours. Uh, that's how they did it. The blessings of the elder is beautiful. If you can, if you can see that, we want your we want your children to be like Rachel and Leah that started this great nation of the of, of Israel. I, you know, I happen to think King David loved this story about his great grandmother. What a beautiful story. Hagley's handbook points out that Boaz was a descendant of Rahab the harlot. So Obed, the son of Boaz and Ruth, was part Canaanite part Moabite, and part Israeli. He says, Brother Haley, Mr. Haley says, it's fitting that from this bloodline would come the Messiah for all nations. Isn't that beautiful? Boaz is a shadow of Christ because they were both redeemers. You know, before one could become a, a kinsman redeemer, they had to be related by blood. You can see that in your handout in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10. 5 through 10. And now, remember, Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1, verse 1. And the Word, John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. He, his flesh, it ran with blood. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We have been redeemed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The kinsman redeemer must, must be able to and want to pay the price. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The price was the blood of Jesus. Matthew 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. His life was freely given. John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And notice, please, the last part of this verse, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In Ruth, we see love demonstrated, and in the end, we see love rewarded. In the life of her grandchild, Jesus, we see love demonstrated and we see love rewarded because when Jesus died for us, His love was rewarded uh, when He was crucified. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, God made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Jesus was rewarded as well for His sacrifice. And here's a promise from Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 23. If anyone loves Me, he will keep My Word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Everybody loves a good story. How will your story end? Will it end with God and Jesus and them making their home with you? 
or will it end some way else? If you want your story to end well, it's my hope this morning that you'll put Christ on in baptism or you'll be restored back to the church for sins that you know you've committed and everyone else knows about. If you need help, if you need prayers, we would love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. Come right now as together we stand and sing.